Roll up Ranked Squad, welcome to the best football podcast on the planet. Jump on board and prepare yourselves for a joyride. This week it's me at the wheel instead of Jack. We've let him have a week off, but the wheels on this bus still go round and round. I'm even going to try one of his silly little rhymes in a minute. While Jack is let loose to watch his boys in green, we've replaced the prince of BR Football Ranks with our very own Bleacher Report princess. She's the chirp behind the tweets. She's the impeccable voice behind our Insta, the smiliest face in social media. She might actually be the smiliest face in the world. It's Joanna Kamenu. Thank you. That was lovely. Yeah, I enjoyed that. You're so smiley, (laughs) Joe. And next to her, the man who could rank every single one of Cristiano Ronaldo's 700 goals off the top of his head. He is the tallest man in football analysis. His royal highness, if you will. Sam Ty, you told me this intro would be different, but so far it's exactly It literally sounds like chat. Good news, though. This week, I'm steering us well clear of the international break and back in the direction of domestic football because we've got one of the biggest fixtures on the domestic calendar coming up. It's Liverpool. They're heading to Man United. Liverpool cannot stop winning eight in a row. There's a special feeling growing. The run has sent them eight points clear. Now the chance for their biggest cheer. Klopp's first win at Old Trafford will bring more than pride. This time he knows there's a title on the line. This rivalry is huge, iconic and true. But this year, it's Liverpool with so much more in view. Their fans have waited for things to turn around. All those painful years watching United wear their crown. Now their own chance at English domination puts some bad days behind them. Remember Jimmy Traore, Koncheski and Voronin? <laughs> As for United, the Fergie era is all dried up. This year, you won't see them lifting a cup. No longer a Cantona, Ronaldo or Keane. They're a club on the verge of becoming has-beens. The cop wants us, Brendan, make us dream. Now it's Klopp that must go and make history. That's my bit of poetry in motion. What do you think? That's the best poem we've ever had on the show. Yeah? By far. Anyway, I want to lead it straight into my hot take. There is a reason I've gone big on the Liverpool United theme. And that's because even though Liverpool have never won the Premier League, they also have never endured a season quite as bad as the one that I think United are about to go through. Because since the Premier League began in 92-93... They continued to win major trophies, interestingly never finished below eighth in the table. They remained relevant in the game. And United fans have liked to laugh at Liverpool over the past 20-odd years. But these things usually come back round to bite you. And I Hmm. think that that is about to happen big time. Because my hot take is that Man United have declined so drastically that they are about to suffer a worse season than Liverpool fans have ever known. I don't think they'll win a trophy, no chance. On top of that, I don't think they will make the top eight, judging by what we are seeing under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, the club are always being spoken about and written about, so they'll remain relevant in that sense. But as a football team, I think they're actually becoming pretty irrelevant. Let's take it back to 2011-12. Liverpool got 52 points. It was their worst Premier League finish. Pretty rubbish. They were eighth. At this stage of the season, though, at that, that stage... They had 14 points racked up, which is more than United have right now. United have nine. They also went on to win the League Cup that season and got to the FA Cup final. United are not doing either of those things. Like, that's not happening. So, United way worse than Liverpool ever were. Dean, there's a Simpsons meme that's appropriate here. It's the stop, stop, he's already dead. (laughs) Just leave him alone for five minutes every week he's on here. This is so hard. Mate, this picture is so significant because the tide has just turned and these two teams have just like... Man United are in the upside down, basically, because they are suddenly experiencing the complete opposite of everything that United fans aged to up to, like, what, 30, I guess, have ever known. Yeah, my entire lifetime has been Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United, winning games late, Fergie time. And Liverpool not doing a lot apart from the odd Champions League. Yeah, I mean, they have the odd good season, I suppose. Yeah, so it is a little bit upside down. Um, Looking ahead to this weekend, learning that Alisson is back from injury... And the fact that Man United can't score, that was like, for me, that's the final nail in the coffin with regard to this weekend's result. I just, I don't, I don't think there's anything Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can do this weekend. I, 
Man United, nothing Man, he can do. Man United can't win this game, and, and that 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 is that is a barometer, isn't it? Of of the I mean, chasm between it's the thing. two. It's a home fixture. Yeah, it's just it's really bad. Yeah, I, I mean, think it's funny that you compare it to Liverpool's worst ever season because it it could be Man United's worst season that they've ever had. I mean, forget, well, forget consider, Liverpool. Like, Liverpool obviously had their own era of domination for a long time before the Premier League actually began, and then and then they kind of faded, and United could potentially now go through an awful spell themselves. We don't know how many years it is until they'll be challenging for a title again. And lots of people say, oh, no, it'll sort itself out. Take a look at AC Milan. Like, it doesn't just sort itself out. You need smart decision makers. Yeah, there's no signs of it. And there's absolutely nothing there, unfortunately. And, and Liverpool are the polar opposite in so many ways. And in this way as well, they have a, a really smart board and front office. Michael Edwards with recruitment. They've made some really smart decisions. They've got a really good manager and they're reaping the benefits from it. And United have none of that to call on. Yeah, Joe, everyone hears me and Sam talk about Man United every week. What's your take on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I, I, I don't... I understand why he was given the job, but I think everyone who was following the game said the same thing when he got it, and that he was it was when's his time gonna gonna end there. It was all so, an emotion, basically. So it was it was a, an emotional appointment. It was it 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 was the run that he went on before he he actually got the job full time. Yeah, was brilliant. But I think it's something that has played out exactly how everyone thinks it should have yeah and and it, it's just it's just bizarre because that, that, as you say like man united for the past what is it five seasons now it's been such a sharp change mm. it, it they went from winning to being being a joke team yeah you, within within a season you can't identify them in, in that poem you know the I made the point of like listing a few names, like Liverpool's worst players, pretty much Jimmy Traore, Paul Konchesky, and Voronin. Yeah. Like days Liverpool fans really don't want to think about. And then on the flip side, you think of United, Cantona, Ronaldo, Keane, just three of the figures that really summed up like the way that they took hold of, of that era that they defined the game for. And I think now you can probably flip it again, and you're like, okay, so who are the three Liverpool players that right now define what they're going through? And Who's United's Jimmy Traore, Konchesky and Voron? Yeah, I was just thinking Fred's a, Fred is a, is Fred a nomination is here for sure. You know, he's, he's uh, emblematic, isn't he, of, of, a, uh, of a pretty serious waste of money and a bad decision. Let's, should we take it away from Man United and Liverpool for, for a minute? We can take um, it. And I'll deliver my hot take. I'm going to be blunt. Forget Man United, Liverpool. Forget it. Not important. Don't worry about it. The first 10 minutes of this podcast were all for nothing. Because if you only watch one game this weekend... I implore you to make it Borussia Dortmund against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And I'm not saying this because of Dortmund. I'm saying this because you have to watch Gladbach this season or at this moment in time because I think they're the best counter-attacking team in Europe. Which is saying something because we were just talking about Liverpool with Salah and Mane and Firmino they on are the break. They are very good. But Gladbach are the most direct and most incisive and one of the most exciting teams. There's an amazing stat from Statsbomb, which is of the 15 goals that Gladbach have scored this season in the Bundesliga, only three were preceded by an attack consisting of more than five passes in the build-up to the shot. Which means that Gladbach are scoring the large majority of their goals by putting together four passes from the back, four or five passes from the back, and, and putting it in the net. They just pass line to line to line, goalkeeper, centre-back, centre-mid, striker, striker, goal, done. That's pretty efficient. See, see you later. It German efficiency is absolutely <laughs> amazing. Absolutely, they're slicing through teams. And this, the ball is almost always on the floor as well. So they're the hipster's choice at the moment because the manager... No wonder you love them. Yeah. The manager is Marco Rose. He was at RB Salzburg okay. right, last season and they hired him. And they took his, uh, they took his assistant with him, René Marich, who used to write for a German tactics website, did his coaching badges, ended up in Austria. Hang on. Yeah. You write a bit of tactics. Yeah, I'm, I'm already looking into it. Don't <laughs> worry. I've got, I'm fielding a few. I'm fielding a few calls. I'm fielding. I'm looking at the coming. options. Don't worry. Don't worry. And they've got these incredible sort of counter pressing strategies, and they use an unorthodox diamond formation, which has sent the tactics bloggers absolutely crazy, myself included. But you should get familiar with this team because the names you're going to see linked to your teams soon. Because they're performing so well, you're going to see Alassane Player, Marcus Turam, son of Lillian. Dennis Zachariah, Florian Neuhaus, Laszlo Benes, all of these players, 22 except for player who's 26. They're going to be linked to your club soon. They are all performing so, so well. And they've even got, this is mad, Matthias Ginter, 
He's 25 years of age. I had to like triple check that because he feels like he's been around forever. Yeah, he's one of the most experienced players in the team. He and Jan Sommer. So get watching Gladbach, specifically watch them this weekend, because it is not unrealistic to say that they could put a real dent in Dortmund's title bid okay. this weekend. I mean, Gladbach are actually top of the Bundesliga, you if say, you haven't they checked. they become competitors for that title? I wouldn't go that far, but you look at the top of that Bundesliga table and you start to think, well, hang on a minute, this is anyone's game, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what, what I was, was saying before we came on air. I think it's, it's not just, let's watch the Dortmund game this weekend. I think the Bundesliga... The, the top seven, there's only there's only two points in it. I think they're they're top with 16 points, and then the seventh place is 14 points. So yes. I think it's such a good competition madness. to start watching now. I mean that that is is genuinely madness. Yeah. So I think I think also I'd be interesting to hear if you think just because they're top that they are genuinely the best at the moment, or if there's anyone else in that top seven that you also think could make could a run through. for it. Well, I think, I think at the at best, the fourth best team overall in the Bundesliga, because you would still, you'd still look at Bayern and Dortmund, and you would also give credence to Leipzig's quick start, better playing staff, and obviously they've got a very good manager in their own, in Nagelsmann. So at best, they're fourth. Um, and as you say, the two-point gap between themselves and Bayer Leverkusen in seventh, it doesn't mean an awful lot, which, whichever order those seven teams are in they've all basically achieved about the same thing this season. The only thing to say is that one of them, Wolfsburg, is unbeaten. But that, again, that doesn't even mean much because they're in second and they haven't separated themselves from the pack. And this is just why you have to watch it. This is why on Saturdays, you know, you get that little 30-minute um, window at 2.30. Before Premier League starts. So before Premier League starts at 3, they do a Bundesliga kickoff at 2.30. You get 30 minutes in there. Quite try, early American time. Try that as a jumping-off point because Saturday... At 5.30 English time, uh, so minus five for the Eastern Coast. That's Dortmund Gladbach. Um, 2.30, Leipzig-Wolfsburg, which is, uh, is fifth versus second. So a, a true education, a as always, there from Sam Tite. <laughs> Jojo, take us away from this and lead us back into more uh, recognised waters. Well, I actually, I know that we're looking forward from the international break, but I think... With this hot take, it would be silly not to recognise the achievement from it. And that was Romelu Lukaku scoring 50 goals for Belgium. Not in one game. So <laughs> he, wow. he, he, he reached his 50th goal <laughs> and he is the first first Belgian player to do so. And my hot take is that he, he is one of the best strikers of his generation. And people will automatically question that, I think, so... So many, when you look at Twitter and you look online, there's so many comments about always his first touch or his, his weight and, and those other factors that contribute to his game. But I think if you look at him as a goal-scoring talent, he is still one of the best around. When you say generational, I mean, how far are we opening that up? I mean, I'm, you think of people his age, you've got... Harry Kane's 26 as well, so is Icardi. And then at 28, you've got Antoine Griezmann, Roberto Firmino. At 25-year-old, you've got Paolo Dybala. Like, I'm when not you're mixed saying, with that kind I'm of not, company. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying... But I believe that he's, he is up there. I don't, I'm not saying he's better than Kane. But he's I'm a better goal scorer than all of those he, except Kane. He his is numbers very, will, will supply that his argument. His numbers are brilliant. And also, so, I mean, if, if we're going back to the international break, I'm actually going to get the stats up on my phone for this. Um, so if you look at who's got reached 50 goals, mm-hmm. uh, he was 26 years old. Cristiano Ronaldo is 29 years old. Messi was 28 years old. Ibrahimovic was 32 and Suarez was 31 years old. I mean, the list goes on. Wayne Rooney was 29. This is the age they reached 50 this is goals. the like. age they reached 50 goals. I mean, with Lukaku, and the big question mark has come basically since he, he joined Man United. Before that point, I don't think anyone was really doubting whether Lukaku was like a true elite talent in, in terms of being a striker. But Man United never fitted the type of striker he was and never seemed willing to change to, to make that work. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer particularly, you know, him and Lukaku, there was no chemistry there. Mm. Um, and now he's gone and he's found himself a new club. Has he found the right home, do you think so? Well, I mean, the, 
most of the Manchester United fans that I spoke to or saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, Manchester United fans, they were quite happy to see him go. And in retrospect, potentially also because they didn't buy anyone to replace him, they're really missing him. And they're also seeing the relationship that he and Conte have struck up and the chemistry between those two and the way he's being utilised for Inter. And they're thinking... We may have screwed up. Mm. We maybe should have tailored our approach a little bit more to him. Now, there's no doubt that at times Lukaku didn't play well for Man United. The first touch issues, they cropped up. They did. They, you know, those calls happen for a reason because he does occasionally kick the ball out of play when he's trying to control it. Like, yeah. it just happens. Like, happens for Belgium, happens for Man United, it happened for Everton. Like, it's yeah. just one of those things. But it's a, I think it's a case, half a case of absence makes the heart grow fonder on, the, on Man United yeah. and Lukaku. And half a case of, we didn't buy anyone to replace him. What have we done? Uh, and when a player starts so quickly and so well for a different team, you're always going to end up feeling like this. Absolutely. And I think what, what I admire about Lukaku, which he's done throughout his career, is if it's not working in that current situation, he, he has his uh, really strong self-belief and he's willing to make the move. So when he was at Chelsea, he was willing to go to West Brom and score there, yep. which, he had, which he did. He was willing to go to Everton, which is why he, he came to prominence as well yeah. when he went there. So I think he's always willing where he can see... He was only at United for those those two years yeah. so he's willing to make those moves to make sure that that he's in the best position because at Man United it's not worked for quite a few players these past few seasons so I really respect that and I think that at Milan he's at also- Inter he's he may have found the right the right mix for him to actually record the the really top quality stats that I think that yeah. he can he can actually well, he's clearly well, well advised, isn't he? Um, Kyle Walker-Peters and Phil Foden need to have a word with his agent, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as soon as he spots a bad situation, he gets the hell out of there. These guys <laughs> do the same thing. That's exactly what he does. <laughs> Fair play, though, because you've got to, otherwise... You it's a short career. It's yeah, a, a short career, man. Right, we are done there. We're going to put the fire out on those hot takes. We'll be back <laughs> very soon with our main ranking. The most iconic duos in current day football. Don't miss it. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where Sam Ty's engine is beginning to purr because it's time for the rankings. <laughs> One question. Okay. Where was Melon of the Week? Mm, interesting point. Um, it's international break, and I was looking for a melon, and they're all just not around at the moment because they're on duty. <laughs> They've all been called up? <laughs> yeah. All the melons have been called up. So it's a one-week break from Melon of the Week. Which is really lucky, really, because uh, it's a bit sparse out there, to be honest. A little bit, yeah. Well, look, the audience love it. We know that. This whets their appetite. I promise it's more. not gone forever. We are now going to take a look at five iconic duos of our time. I can confirm that Sam Tai and Joe Kamenu are not on this list. <laughs> <laughs> but Shocking. this ranking might not be exactly what you are expecting. I'm going to pass it over to the main man himself. Yeah, so they're... Look. It's about how they define the game and our experience of the game. So they're not all just playing duos. They're all not all just partnerships. Uh, and you'll see as the list transpires. But we are going to start with a more traditional one. Okay. And we're going to start with, five, then. with Aubameyang and Lacazette at like number five. Um, incredible, lovable duo. Even non-Arsenal fans can enjoy this one, I think. And even someone like myself who... I don't actually like Aubameyang that much as a player. Like I've always had my irritations with his style of play. And I completely forget it when I see him grinning into Lacazette's Instagram. <laughs> it's completely fine. I can just buy into the two of them. So whether they're laughing and smiling together, wolf-whistling each other, crashing Hector Bellerin's interviews, dressing up together, mocking each other's clothes, it's all, it's all great fun. And what, how this defines our experience of the game is that it gives you that... It's a bromance and it gives you that kind of look into a player as a personality thanks to social media so you know Roy Keane is is not happy about this at all but we love them as people as well as footballers and it, it 15 years ago we just didn't have this ability mm-hmm. to get to know a player on this level mm-hmm. um, and with these two they're just kind of like the crowning achievement of it because they are so funny so fun 
also happen to be very, very good at football and perform well together on the pitch as well. Yeah, we definitely are getting more of an insight now into kind of relationships off the field. And I think you look at like Declan Rice and Mason Mount as mm. a combination that people wouldn't have known about how far they went back. Even if you knew they were both grew up at Chelsea as kids, you wouldn't know that they still remain so tight as they do unless it was for social media. Yeah. Um, you look at other places, you know, you see Lingard and Rashford at times, things like yeah, that, I think that was opening up. There was an interesting one on Albam- Albamiang, though. I looked up a quote from, um, obviously, after he joined Arsenal. Uh, he was asked about his, his relationship with Lacazette. And his quote was, I came to Arsenal and there he was. It was good to see him. It was love at first sight. Oh, bless. That's lovely stuff. <laughs> that, yeah, and considering it's amazing. Lacazette came out of the team for uh, Aubameyang for a while as well, <laughs> this relationship has had its ups and downs. Oh, that's that's the that brilliant funny. thing. It's, it's had its, its brilliant, like, as a, as, like As an Arsenal fan, like, that, I, I remember that really clearly because they had this strong friendship immediately. You'd see the posts online. Yeah. And, then, and then Lacazette wasn't, was like, faded out it was it was so weird he wasn't he wasn't being played they weren't playing them at the same time I mean now he they've been integrated together in the team much so they play together much more but uh, I think it's it's just it's actually really nice to see so as an Arsenal fan it must must be lovely to see people getting along for once I mean it's (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean it's it is it's brilliant it's really great and Aubameyang has the best laugh I think he does yeah like it's infectious and you can tell like most of the posts you don't even see him you can just see him filming Lacazette or and he's shouting in, in French and I don't understand yeah. <laughs> it but I think it's funny but you still laugh because his laugh is infectious but it, it translates onto the pitch as well yeah it's translating a, into goals yeah. and there was a couple of times last season where especially when they were both winning penalties and they were like oh you know you take that and I think Aubameyang was on a hat trick and Aubameyang still was like oh no Lacazette you, you can take it you can take it and I thought that's just brilliant. You've done some but... nice images on social, haven't you? Of like the telepathic connection that exists. It's like where they both have their fingers out, and they and both they both do the, se- the cel- they celebrate together. It's 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 nice as an Arsenal. It's fan. a nice bromance, and as you say, it certainly isn't something that was around ten or fifteen years yeah. ago that we were aware of. Anyway, as no, not so. If can, that's what we can celebrate. Can you imagine how easy it is? For the person whose job it is at Arsenal to put forward or suggest players for like kit shoots and like sponsorship shoots, which two players would you like to nominate to go and do this? Hmm, let me think for one second. <laughs> Aubameyang and Lacazette. <laughs> it's just it's just the easy answer, isn't it? Because you know it's going to be gold. Absolutely right. Give us number four. Uh, number four. This is where the list starts to uh, d- degenerate pretty fast. Is Messi and his dog Hulk? <laughs> okay, number three. <laughs> <laughs> so videos of, videos of Messi playing football with his dog Hulk. Is there, a, is there a more obvious and more guaranteed crowd pleaser out there? I ask, I ask you, Joe, the social maven. Like, like, that must just make your job so easy when he posts a video of him lobbing his dog. Oh, when, when they were playing football together, that was like such... That video... Gold dust. Yeah, people were watching that. And endlessly even we were in the office but I think it's it's not it's not just his dog though I think Sergi Roberto's dog mm. is is one of the cutest person his name know. is Baloo he's Baloo he's oh. has his own Instagram account and I think I think his dog would be the cutest out of all of them but they're really there's a trend with all these footballers to to keep their own accounts and post about their dogs as well. Yeah, massive. Oh, it just makes them thoroughly more likeable, doesn't it? And there are elements of, 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 of our number five in the bromance and the social media letting us into, our, into yeah. their lives here. Messi and Hulk, it's the only dog I've ever felt sorry for, actually, because I'm sure he's cared very well for, but all a dog wants to do is get the ball. You ain't get the ball off Messi. <laughs> it's the unluckiest dog on the planet because he happens to be paired with the greatest footballer the world what has ever seen. What an iconic duo so that is. I'm get sure there. everyone expected you to talk about that one. Anyway, number three. Hang what? on a minute. You got what? <laughs> More famous footballers than dogs. Please. Okay. First of all, Hulk, Hulk has even been drawn into the Champions, our animated series. That's how famous he is. That's fair. That dog is more famous than any of us will ever be put together. <laughs> Messi, Hulk, Sergio Roberto, and Baloo, Neil Etheridge, and Danilo have got these amazing chow chows. Danny Ings has got a couple of Grudels, which are unbelievable. Saul Negueth has got a Sheba. Harry Kane has a couple of good boys. Isco appears to have an, an entire inner circle of dogs of different breeds that he relies on. And DeAndre Yedlin's dog skateboards. It's 
amazing. I think Harry Kane used his dogs to announce the birth of of his kids or some, something like that. I remember something. Like sent him outside the hospital to send <laughs> yeah. a message to the world. <laughs> something bizarre like That's that. That's how integral they are to football nowadays. <laughs> but we will move on to number three now and we get back to the football a little bit. It's Tottenham Hotspur and VAR. <laughs> Iconic duo. What a combination. I mean, it's wow. a weekly relationship, this one now. And it's an up and down relationship as well. It's got its frosty patches. It's got its loving patches. So it began in the Champions League last season. Um, VAR saving Spurs from being knocked out by Man City with a Raheem Sterling goal by millimetres from an offside. It carried on into this season where Gabriel Jesus had a last minute winner against Tottenham ruled out in a game City absolutely dominated oh, crazy, man. and then ended up and Tottenham ended up with a 2-2 draw but then it turned on them didn't it the relationship became yeah. fractured because Son Heung-min's goal at Leicester was ruled out again by millimetres that completely shifted that game Leicester went and scored then scored again and it, I think it would have been 2-0 to Spurs it became 2-1 to Leicester within 10 minutes mm-hmm. and look at the crisis that Spurs are in now and this is just one of those results and how it really just sometimes just doesn't go your way Pochettino once proclaimed that he loves VAR but was I, after the Man City game? It was after the second Man City game. Uh, I doubt that this is the case anymore, but look, we've basically cornered ourselves into talking VAR here. You'll have noticed, listeners, well, you may not have actually, but we try really hard not to talk about VAR because we think it's boring. But this is the, the second time we've ever spoken about it. Um, and it, it is an undeniably massive part of the modern game, our experience of football and our experience of viewing a game both in and out of a stadium. I no longer celebrate goals. Can't afford to do that. Like <laughs> celebrate goals. I have to wait for the, so I have to wait true. for VAR to confirm it. Oh my god! My that team, sums you up, mate. I, I, well, I can't take the risk. <laughs> well, also imagine trying to follow the game on Twitter like we do and trying to post something as quickly as possible. Yep. I mean, it's made our jobs completely yeah. different. Have you been Have you been in a stadium when a VAR decision has has taken place and something's been overturned? And like, what's it? Like, have you Have you have? Yeah, but I've never like been the team celebrating the goal and then. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it, to be that team? Like, it, I understand what you're saying about not celebrating goal because, like, say you score right at the end of the game and you've, like, scored an equaliser or something and you, like, want to go mental and you do go mental just naturally, m- most people apart from you anyway, and then you see the kind of check going on and then it's like, oh, it looks so stupid. It's like, it's the old school version of, like, when you, someone hit one and it went into the side netting and you cheered. And you go, way <laughs> At least that was just like over in a second. Like this could go on for a long time. Yeah. And if it's ruled out, you do just look really stupid. Well, just like Pep Guardiola on the sideline in the Champions League. I felt he went absolutely mad and then just sunk. He just couldn't believe it. But at the same time, that was one of the most dramatic moments I've ever seen. Ever. It was unbelievable. I mean, obviously, watching watching Spurs play playing the Champions League, I didn't particularly want them to go through. But I, I just, it, you've, at that moment, it was kind of like a victory because you just, you saw these players like just go absolutely crazy at yeah. that time. It was, it was such a dramatic moment. Also, it was like also completely like, down and then completely it up. Was, yeah. it, was and it, la- it laid the foundations for the most cheapest post-match interview in history from Christian Eriksen, <laughs> who just because he gave the ball away and he was like, yeah, I was lucky. <laughs> fair that fair play to him. What I don't like about VAR and this relationship is it's now leading to goal celebrations. Ronaldo was the first person I saw do it, yeah. where people he scored a goal and people in front of him were waiting for him to do his traditional celebration in front of them. And he didn't do it that day. And he kind of did the VAR signal and was like, oh, no, I'm going to wait just in case. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen it a couple of times since then. And one of them was actually a Tottenham game. Yeah. I think Ndombele was the one who scored. Was it Southampton, maybe? I can't remember the exact game. But Ndombele scored. And I think it was Serge Aurier that led the celebration of like, oh, yeah, let's pretend we're checking for a VAR. Because the week before, he'd had a goal disallowed by... That's right. Yeah. So like they were just they were sort of taking the piss out of it. Um, But I don't like it. No, of course course not. What I don't like at the moment is... When, when someone clatters into someone in the box and it's your team that's done the foul and you look at the ref for like two, three seconds, you're like, is he going to get the penalty? So in the past, those two, three seconds pass, the referee does that and you're like, oh, thank God for that. It's not over now, is it? Because then they check it, they look back at it and you think, oh, and you feel like, oh my God, is it a penalty? And you think you feel like that for like 35, yeah. 40, 50 seconds, however long it takes two to minutes. go out of play. They need an extra camera though because there should be a camera that immediately 
goes to the person that is a judge to have potentially made a foul. Because that person's sheepish behaviour <laughs> over the course of that 50 seconds to two minutes tells you pretty much everything. You can tell. Yeah, yeah. Like they usually turn their back, they walk away a little bit, and you know in their head they're like, I did handball it, or yeah. I, did, I did get... Well, that's the thing, you're I kind of losing that, aren't you? You're losing that thing of, of the player either looking really she- sheepish or about five players kind of have, having their, their hands in the air and saying, like, come on, this this Yeah, and this if has... the rest of the team are all, like, arguing with the referee, yeah. then it's not a penalty. And the other bloke's just like, this is going to be AR, <laughs> so I might as well just sit over here. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't want to make it any worse. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. OK, what we got, number two? Number two is Wonder and Icardi. <laughs> <laughs> OK, football's greatest power couple. They are couple. certainly an iconic duo. They really are, the power couple. Um, this is an incredible relationship. Uh, it's potentially the biggest sideshow in football. Uh, and you can tell that because it, it completely stole focus from one of the world's biggest clubs in Inter Milan for a full like three or four yep. years. So Mauro Icardi, now at PSG on loan, but for several years, they're number nine, their captain and his wife... Is, is his agent, outspoken, public personality. They did cause a bit of trouble. A little uh, bit. You know, Icardi went AWOL for 40 days once. Uh, there were some problems. Icardi and the fans have had, a, have had a couple of couple of issues. There have been a couple of apologies there on the pitch at times as well. A couple of banners uh, that have been held up. You know, when a, when, a, when, a, when a set of fans is having to hold up a banner... Uh, about the captain because he's done something wrong. That is a, uh, the definition of a fractious relationship. And look, there are lots of people who would suggest that Wanda has sort of had a guiding hand in these nefarious times in his career. And, you know, she's not liked by some. And, you know, yep. her, her, the amount of power that she holds either at the club or over him, over is, him. is talked about. And this is emblematic of, of, of a few clear trends in modern football, which is player power. Um, the, the amount of ruckus that Icardi has caused is absolutely sensational, and also power of the, the power of an agent and, the, and and their ability to guide a career or, or make decisions that have directly impacts not just a player but an entire team, which is which is Wanda's role. Um, I honestly think it was more like Icardi FC than Inter Milan for three years, yeah. uh, which is saying something. It's certainly been strange. I think that. The whole thing is obviously skewed by the fact that they're in a relationship. It's yeah. also skewed by the fact that she's quite attractive. And so, like, that makes different tabloid headlines for different reasons because people want to use pictures of her to, yeah. for people to click on. And it does work, like, whether we like it or not. Not Luckily, not something, a tactic we use very often at Bleacher Report, happy <laughs> yeah, to say. But <laughs> on the flip side of it, it's not, apart from that side, not any different to any other agent-player relationship. You know, I've been dealing with transfers and stuff for a long time. And the majority of them um, lie to you constantly. They've all got power over the players. They're all driven by money. They're all driven by their own um, self-worth, if you like. They, they want to make themselves rich. So, yes... It, it's their way, job. It's their job to make themselves rich. Like. Wonder actually might be a bit of a better uh, person for him to be led by, because at least there's got to be part of her that is in it for him like with most agents I'd be there's no reason if for she them wasn't. to actually care what he thinks like yeah so whereas you know they go home and they've got to have dinner together yeah so it's, <laughs> it's controversial for sure um definitely wouldn't have seen this 10 years ago as far as i know i can't think of any examples but like you know people in the line like, like Paul Stretford and people like that that you've been hearing of for years and years. And Mina Raiola and those yeah, guys. Mina yeah, Mina Raiola and all, all the Keir Jabshin and these guys, you know, it's it gives them a run for their money and makes them think a, a little bit differently, I think. And they probably take a lot of lessons from that relationship and the way that she deals with it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's taking lessons from, uh, from Mina Raiola as well because he's he, in the spotlight. He's good too. Um, your girlfriend works in law, right? Correct. Um, you at some stage in your career might need an agent to get you a new job or a nice gig. Would you Would you be willing to? Am I finding something out live? You can do on stuff the on the side. That, oh, <laughs> thanks, mate. Would you employ Rachel as your agent? No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she doesn't know the first thing about this industry. <laughs> She's a lawyer. She's no. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mix them. I wouldn't mix them. Mauro Icardi's a brave man. Mixing, mixing this together. It must lead to I some actually, massive rap. I don't think there's a problem between mixing, you know, the fact that they're in a relationship with 
with their actual work and managing their careers. I think I think that that in in the normal circumstances would make sense because you see a lot of mothers and fathers that manage. My mum and dad both hairdressers work in the same salon exactly. together their whole life. Exactly, they're just a massive house. <laughs> exactly, <It's> the same. <laughs> and the same with my parents; they work in a restaurant. So I, I think that's just a natural uh, way that a lot of people in society live. I think it's just the fact that they have such a high profile for, let's say, different reasons, yeah. which is why why people are so more obsessed with obsessed that, with that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I find it a bit uncomfortable and awkward because yeah. Yeah, it's, it it's, be. it's, not, it's not that normal relationship. So I think I think in general I don't I don't see a problem with it. I think it makes sense because they have your best interests. It's just got a cringe factor. But it really does have a cringe <laughs> factor. I mean, look, I, I make them the, the poster boys of this, and and that they are because of their profile. But yeah. as you say, there isn't that much difference in their working relationship to everybody else. Absolutely. In fact, maybe there's just a little bit more. Uh, concern from the agent side to the client side than ever. Yeah. So fair enough. But into number one. Number one, here we go then. It's uh, Roma Football Club and Twitter. (laughs) I mean... The fabled Roma admin. Yeah, I imagine a large, large portion of our listenership are following AS Roma in some form, whether it be their English handle or their Italian handle. Um, probably both some people just because the content's so good. Yeah. Um, we had a look earlier, didn't we? We looked at how many of the people we follow follow yeah. Roma. 195 people I follow follow the English language Roma um, out of just over 1,000. Yeah, and so, I mean, considering I don't reckon five of them probably support Roma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody else is just, just enjoying their content. Just in it, yeah. Yeah, just enjoying their content. And they are, well, they are iconic in that the modern day football fan experience is completely intertwined with social media twitter overreacting celebrating commiserating all of the emotions that go that come from being a football fan and following a team through the season social media captures all of it and what roma do so well is they sort of tap into that emotion and they create content which is very tongue-in-cheek but somehow still doesn't cross a line considering that they are it is actually a football club Mm -hmm. tweeting (laughs) these things and so over the years, some of their top hits, summer 2017, they kicked off the craze of new signing announcement videos. Um, they, were, they were laying the foundations for that. And we saw Lorenzo Pellegrini score a goal with himself on FIFA, turn around to the camera and shout Forza Roma. We saw Chengiz Under. Uh, they created one of those ridiculous YouTube compilation videos called Welcome to Roma, Amazing Skills, Runs, Assists and Goals, <laughs> HD 2017. <laughs> Cut it terribly with awful screechy music and colour grades and announced him like that, which I, I must have watched that 50 times, genuinely. It was good. It was there good. was a video for Grégoire Defrel, which involved ferries crossing an ocean, riot police and a Star Wars intro. And one with Kolarov, where they explained a really elaborate plan of him jumping out of a helicopter and landing in a bush full of goats in Morocco. Yep. The, uh, absolutely amazing. But you've actually interviewed Roma Admin. I have, actually, Who was yeah. a real person with a team underneath him. Yeah, right? Paul Rogers, his name is, yeah. Um, I contacted him last week. I think I did an article on people that were... Clubs that were smashing social media or something like that. And... Um, I mean, the real breakthrough moment for them, he said, was then their biggest tweet was the banging keyboard moment. So they completed a comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League. They were 4-1 down from the first leg. No one gave them a hope in hell. 1-3-0. And they literally did a banging keyboard tweet and it was just all nonsense. And it got ridiculous um, interaction. Um, something like... At the, at the time... Uh, it was a hundred, of your interview. It was one hundred eighty thousand retweets. Yeah, and something like three hundred thousand likes. I think. Yeah, and I think what he said at the time, look, that in comparison with any other interactions from big football clubs to their to their tweets from that time, just incomparable. To be honest, um, it was it was really interesting talking to him and the kind of insight they get 
and why they do it. And he kind of just wants it to become an entertainment and doesn't want to just appeal to Roma fans, wants to kind of include the whole of football in, in what they're doing. And I think they've definitely done that. Everyone can identify with them. If you don't already follow AS Roma on Twitter, then absolutely get on it. But they've not, it's not just the, the signings. And stuff. They, they've cooled off a little bit, I would say, on, on, on the banter, basically. But they're they doing still, some good now. They still pop up with the occasional genius thing, like when they mocked Mark Wahlberg's insane daily routine where he wakes up at 2.30, goes to the gym six times and is bed by, in bed by eight. They rewrote the schedule for their Twitter schedule. Um, they recently blocked Rebecca Vardy so that Rebecca Vardy can't, uh, can't leak any of their details. Um, as, as Colleen Rooney claims that she was, that was last week's absolute breach, privacy breach storm. Um, she should have been Melon of the Week. And really. I think, uh, yeah, yeah well, yeah, if only they weren't all on international duty. Yeah. I think pretty much every club in the world aspires to be them, aspires to copy them, and aspires to emulate their tone, which is just serenaded by everyone. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's really clever what they've done because I think they've taken a look at the social media landscape and they look at what companies like us do and they've said, why can't a club do that? Absolutely. Because so many clubs are, are so scared to to use a, a current situation and, and well, sometimes they do it, it and then they put it out and they cut, they get a few negative comments, yeah. and they panic and then they delete it. Exactly. Like, okay, well, you can never exactly. cringe, 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 and then and then that, the rest of the and the rest of the day is full of of oh look at the top ten goals from exactly. such and such player. And I think Roma is just so clever in in the way that they then they've looked at what people enjoy going on social media for and they've they've replicated it but for a club yeah. and also that that Manolas tweet well it's not a Manolas tweet but when he scored that scored goal, goal and that reaction to it that's just what you would have done if you were a Roma fan what I would Absolutely. have done what anyone would have done and I think that's that's where they yeah. they hit the hit the nail on the head yeah totally and it is you know it's in at number 100% deserved because you know it it does completely sum up a modern day football what it is to be a modern day football fan something that didn't exist 10 years ago something that we never would have thought of um, until yep. recently and Twitter's getting to this stage of its evolution which is just been ridiculous how how it continues to grow you can tweet a football club and it will tweet you back absolutely yeah. <laughs> um one surprise i guess i thought ramos and red cards might be um an iconic duo of our time <laughs> sure yeah um well i would say that ramos and the red card it is obviously an iconic duo it's a hell of a relationship it's it's long lasting and it will continue um but it does not necessarily define my experience of the game. It's a little bit isolated, so I, I left it off. But if there was going to be an honourable mention in number six, Ramos on the red. Fair enough. OK, good chat, you two. Join us after this short break when we return with my favourite segment, which is, of course, the roulette wheel. Here we go, then. It's time for a bleacher roulette. And Joe, seeing as me and Sam are such gentlemen, I'm going to let you have the first spin of the wheel. Except that I have to spin it because you, you have to spin really it for yeah. it. Right. Cheers. So more of a gentleman. More of a spirit thing. Who lasts longer, Zidane or Solskjaer? Who, who, who lasts longer in their job, Solskjaer or Zidane? I think, I think Zidane lasts longer. Is it because yeah. he's turned if, it around or is it because you think Solskjaer's two games from the sack? I think it's because of their league form. Yeah. Their league form is obviously better than their Champions League form, so they've got something... Aren't they like the last unbeaten team in La Liga? Yeah, they're, they're, top, so... they're top and they're unbeaten. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's good luck, that. Exactly. That's not a bad place to be. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the pressure is... is, is is unbelievable, really, on, on a Madrid manager. But I think because their league form is so good, I think at least they've got something to to hold on to. And you're saying United have Whereas nothing to hold on to. <laughs> Man United don't have very little to hold on to. Yeah, I mean, Solskjaer's literally being assessed on a game-by-game basis now. And while there's no actual plan in place, as far as I'm concerned, to get him out of the job, I also think that there's nobody lined up to come and take it either. But yeah. the fact that, that, that they are aware that things aren't going great. and They are. That's good. And <laughs> tactically, I think we all are. tactically, he's flawed, isn't he? Of course, yeah. He's essentially not qualified to Man- Manchester United. No. That, that's the thing. Um, I, I, guess, I guess I'll go for Solskjaer as well uh, and make it a bit of a clean sweep. 
look, three weeks ago, this would be a, this would be a, a dead tie. But the the unbeaten top of La Liga look like it, it's the best look in La Liga right now. So I think we'll go Solskjaer out first. Solskjaer out first. Zidane stays for now. Good God! What type of crisps are the following players? Pogba, Messi, Ronaldo, and Sergio Ramos. Hang on, say it again because I need to write it down. Pogba, Messi, Messi Ronaldo, and Sergio Ramos. What type of crisps are How these? How does Ramos find himself in that list? I don't know, but he's definitely a spicy flavour. Whichever, whichever. Yeah, <laughs> Ramos is like he's spicy knickknacks. Yeah, or chili, something Ooh, yeah, chili, nice. sweet, sweet chili. chili Walker sensations. Yeah, because like, they're actually like really genuinely pleasant to eat. <laughs> yeah, crisps. By the way. <laughs> It's chips. Chips. In, yeah, it's For chips. everyone listening in America, which is a lot of people on this yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. let's face it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Potato chips. And so, what are your, your favourite... What's your favourite potato chip? Um, well, it's an English one. Yeah, go on. Called McCoy. Steak McCoy's. That is a good oh, choice. Oh, do you like that? That is a good choice. I don't like them, Joe. I'm obsessed with them. Flame Grill Steak <laughs> McCoy's. Um, so, is that... that so steak sure. McCoy's is 100% Ronaldo. Okay. I, really? I, well, I'm putting the messy because yeah, I think the man the crisps, Joe. I would. Ronaldo's I would, all man. I find Ronaldo image-wise quite cheesy, so I would call Panacho. him like a Cheeto. <laughs> Cheeto. <laughs> that's, that's how I describe Ronaldo. That's definitely him of the American audience. That's, I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, look, I, I would put Messi as flame grilled steak McCoy's because they're the greatest crisps crisp of all time, and he's the greatest player. Oh yeah, that's fair. They're the goat crisp is the goat player. Pogba, <laughs> which leaves us with Pogba. Which Chris which crisp has a really Pogba. fancy looking packet? Yeah, I mean... It's one of those... Flame-grilled steak again. No. Everyone in America, you need to get onto this. You need to Google flame-grilled steak McCoy's. It's one of those I've... kind of higher-end crisps where you where you expect it. You know, the packaging's really nice mm-hmm. and you expect it to, to be... To it's, a two, it's a two-pound larger bag that you have with yeah. dips. I think it would like actually be a... Ribeye steak and something else. Yeah, it would have to be something that people love and hate as well because... Oh, um, Twiglets. Yeah, Twiglets. I mean, I'm not sure how well that translates across the Atlantic. But um, Marmite flavour, basically. Yeah, it's a Marmite flavour, Chris. You hate so, twig- Twiglets it is. Fine. Fine. This is actually nonsense. I'm moving on. Which football villain do you have a soft spot for? Oh. Well, my question, so Diego Costa. Yeah, I really like the way he plays football. Okay, I really like it. I'm so I've got so much time for it. Like, he's a horrible, horrible man. <laughs> but if he's on your team, that is the greatest thing you could hope for. Yeah. Like, off the pitch, he's actually I've met him a couple of times. He's actually quite a friendly guy. He's quite nice, um, and I've heard that from people that like get to know him better and his native tongue and stuff as well. That like he's quite welcoming and stuff. Um, it's one journalist that even wanted to meet him in his home um, and said he was, like, brilliant to spend time with. Mm. But on the pitch, yeah, Diego Costa is just everything you want in a horrible striker. And yeah. I'm such a soft And he is a villain, yeah. Do you remember Antonio Cassano? Yeah. Wow. Antonio Cassano, real hothead support striker. Was, was, was very talented, but for the most part, just, like, seemingly couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's that's my kind of player. He's just extremely talented, but for the most part, can't be bothered. That's yeah. me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd like any of the villains. Do you like but Ramos? Ramos, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I like him. No, huh? no, not really. As like, but I'd, I'd, about I'd, Ozil? I'd say I'm more indifferent. Would you villain? call Oz, Ozil a villain? Yeah, he's ruined like the last two years of Arsenal's. Okay, <laughs> I, as an Arsenal fan, wouldn't call him a villain. No, that's fair enough. I. And I, I mean, because then Emery? in that sense, you could call Pog, Pogba, a, Pogba a villain because Man United okay, fans who's the, don't like him. What about Shaka? Granite Shaka. Surely you see him as a villain. Shaka's, you can't like okay, him. Shaka, I see as a villain, but I definitely don't like him. <laughs> I think Emery's the only one who seems to have a soft spot for him. So <laughs> it's it's a weird one in that sense. But um, I, I wouldn't say that I Ramos even. No, I wouldn't say that. You I'd just don't like villains. I, don't, I think they, there's a reason for it. But I wouldn't call Ozil, I would say I'm not calling Ozil a villain. 100% <laughs> not. Where Jack left the nonsense siren? Um, I think it's... Ooh. 
<laughs> Great job. How oh, the hell does he do I that? Knew, I knew he'd leave it here somewhere. How the hell does he do that? Oh, Jack, I think your one was better. Time mate. for the nonsense. Come He's, on, then. Have you got what you got? How long you got? Okay, nonsense. We haven't got long. So, last week, Reading Football Club, in the second tier of English football in the Championship, fired their manager, Jose Gomez, due to the club's poor performances. They asked their sporting director, Mark Bowen, to do the firing and then search for a suitable replacement. Where is this going? Five days later, he arrived at a very simple conclusion. Mark Bowen was the best man for the job. So Mark Bowen hired Mark Bowen, and Mark Bowen is now a manager of Reading. He's pulled a Dick Cheney, basically, who, for reference, took care of interviewing George Bush's vice presidential candidates rigorously before deciding, actually, I'll do it. But back to Reading and Mark Bowen. Uh, Reading's owners should be very worried, uh, not just because they're threatened with relegation, not just because they've just appointed a 55-year-old man into his first full-time senior management role, but because Mark Bowen has merely completed stage one of the Mark Bowen evil takeover. Right. And there are more stages to follow. So I'm now going to predict his next three moves. Okay. (laughs) At number three, suddenly, and before anybody realises what's happening, all of the Reading staff will be replaced by Mark Bowen's family members. And this is not just limited to the coaching staff. It's car park security, it's chefs, kitchen workers, it's scouts, match day liaisons, ticket sales clerks. Reading fans will turn up to the stadium, ask for directions. It will be Mark Bowen's eight-year-old son in a giant UV jacket. <laughs> they can't have anything for lunch other than spaghetti hoops on toast because that's all his cousin knows how to make. She's ten. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. At number two, when told he can't replace the actual players with his family members... He forces all of them to wear Bowen on the back of their shirts. Oh, I like that. This is to ensure that the team of Mark Bowens that the fans sing about actually comes to fruition. We all dream of a team of Mark Bowens. They do all dream of a team of Mark Bowens, they sing, as they have been drugged and enticed wholeheartedly into the support of the Mark Bowen regime. And uh, sure enough, Mark Bowen will probably change his role a little bit further down the line to play a manager and stick stick himself on for the last 10. Oh, yeah. Such Gianluca Vialli style. He was a left back. He'll be up front. (laughs) He needs the goals. And at number one, he renames the club Mark Bowen FC. Why not? This is absolutely crucial to the development of the Mark Bowen empire. Name recognition is huge, and he needs to get those merchandising and sponsorship packages going with his name on, not Reading Football Club, whatever that is. So slowly, ever so slowly, the people of Berkshire will forget there was ever a club named Reading. The only one they'll know about is Mark Bowen FC, managed by Mark Bowen, represented by a team of Mark Bowens and supported by a staff of Mark Bowens' family members. I reckon he would love the PR that you've just given him. And yeah. Because <laughs> that's probably a dream. He wants that segment cut out, sent around the world. We can do it. All hail Mark Bowen FC, the greatest football team the world has ever seen. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mark Bowen, for providing us with that. Jojo, thank you for stepping in this week. Thank it's been great. Thanks, Sam. Oh, cheers, mate. Good as normal, mate. (laughs) And thank you, Rank Squad, for continuing to indulge in this nonsense, as you have been for almost a year now. Yeah, 10-ish months. Also, please, can you please vote for us in the the awards, the FSA awards? Oh, yeah, what's it called? Uh, It's the Football Supporters Federation, and they do the FSA awards. So it's been on my Twitter and my Instagram. There's a form. I'll put it out again. If you have two minutes, you don't have to fill out the entire form, but if you do enjoy our rubbish, we would really appreciate it. Scroll down and type in BR Football Ranks, and we might even a prize, which we really don't deserve. Anyway, Jack will be back next week. I'm afraid to say there's more alliteration coming your way. Hope I did a decent job at standing in for him. We'll be back next week. So until then, see you soon.